have one at home, you can take that one, or we could probably find you a better one than that one. One of those fancy, soft, leather-bound Bibles. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. I trust you're there. Let's read together. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you who is the word. Uh, Holy Spirit, we thank you who inspired this word. May we treasure your word this morning. May we steward it well. May we consider its truth and its application to our lives both individually but also corporately this morning as these passages refer to us, each of us specifically as individuals, but how we each fit in uh, to the body of Christ corporately. So God help us. Pray that each of us would leave this place um, desiring to honor and glorify you with the grace that you have given to us and the gifts that you've given to us. And that each of us would leave here desiring to um, play our part in this local body of believers that we call the Fields Church. So God help me as I aim to um, make you known through your word that's been inspired by your spirit and whom is my help in this moment. I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm excited about this passage. Uh, I had originally uh, studied preaching 12, 1 through 8 all together and presented that to several of our men a couple weeks ago and uh, felt pressed by the Lord to just pause and take it a little bit slower. And I'm glad that I did for last week was rich in truth and application to our lives uh, in, in uh, aiming to live lives of worship, not just worship in song. Uh, and this week, I trust, will be good for us as we consider how the Lord has created us individually to um, live our lives together with one another for His, His namesake. And I want to uh, draw your minds to a, a time period that maybe some of you experienced, uh, maybe in a different way uh, than I experienced it. Um, we all, if you grew up playing any sort of team sport or uh, in some sort of team musical ensemble, uh, you uh, had to learn what part you were going to play. And, and, you know, I'm sure in music, I learned to play the recorder, and I'm sure all kids want to play some sort of instrument when they get to that grade where they get to choose and this, that, or the other. I was not in that camp. I was in the other camp, and everyone wanted to play pitcher, and everyone wanted to play quarterback, and everyone wanted to play, you know, point guard or whatever it was. There's there kind of these few positions on the team that everyone wanted to play, and you know, I, I did that and had to finally accept the fact that I was not fast uh, and I was not a very skilled uh, player in some of those positions, so, but, but I, could, 
I was big and I could hit. And, I, uh, and so I played those positions that did well in that place. I had to accept that at some point. And then I became a coach and I coached a, you know, a bunch of little boys through t-ball and then through coach pitch. And then when you get to kid pitch that first year, everyone thinks they're Nolan Ryan. And everyone thinks that they are going to be able to you know, throw that ball. And only very quickly until you put a kid out there and he throws as many balls as you can throw to walk in five runs and comes back into the dugout crying, saying, I don't want to do that anymore. You know, it like takes that moment in a, in a kid's life to finally realize maybe, maybe that's not the position. Maybe that's not the instrument for me. Uh, I came to a greater realization of this even in college when uh, I had actually really been trying in this class. And there were some that I didn't, I confess, mom and dad. I, there were some that I didn't try as hard in, but I was really trying, really attempting, and I did not do well on a test. And I came back with frustration, and I laid it out all for my really smart, uh, you know, top-of-the-class roommate who seemed to not try that hard and seemed to get A's on everything, and came back saying, it's not fair. You, you, you don't even try that hard, and you do so well in all of this. And I try as hard as I possibly can, and I can't even, can't even do it. And he said, well, yeah, I'd like to slam dunk a basketball too, but I can't. You know, the Lord has gifted us in different, in different ways uh, to do different things. And I was like, okay. You know, there's, there's a, a way that the Lord has made us and uniquely gifted us and given us certain talents and abilities that we need to accept and be thankful for and not attempt to try to be who the other person is closest to us or who one another is in the church. Uh, we fall prey to that. And this is why Paul is challenging these individuals in the church in Rome, but also corporately as a group, um, to consider the gifts that they've been given and to use them appropriately. Uh, these gifts of grace are different from the grace that we just sang about. We just sang one of my favorite songs, Oh, How the Grace of God Amazes Me, uh, a song that we uh, picked up several years ago as a church and began singing when Graham put those words to, to music for us. And I love that song. I love how it speaks of God's saving grace and, and how uh, we've been brought from death to life. Um, and even Graham told us to pause for a second just to think about that grace that God has shown to us in salvation. Um, and God has graced us in Jesus Christ. And through repentance and faith in Christ's perfect life and His death uh, on the cross and His burial and His resurrection from the grave, we can receive that grace. We can be saved once and for all. Our sins be atoned for and be forgiven for our sins. And that grace is uh, alone a gift. We are to praise the Lord for it. But when Paul is speaking about gifts of grace here, he's not talking in this passage about salvation. He's talking about additional gifts of grace. Um, spiritual gifts, you might call them, uh, that, that God has uniquely given to each individual, each believer, to be used specifically for glorifying God, but also building up the church and the body and making the gospel known to the world. So we've all, as Christians, received the grace of God, but here God is saying that He's gone above and beyond that and graced us with additional gifts uh, of supernatural abilities to do certain things for the Lord's honor and for the Lord's glory. And this comes on the heels of Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul uh, commanded us not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
so that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I think part of discerning what the will of the Lord is is partly discerning what are the gifts of grace that God has given to you, Christian. You won't be able to know that um, simply by taking a test that I or any of your spiritual mentors or maybe you've even taken in the past. Those things can be helpful, but one of the ways that we discern what gifts of grace the Lord has given us is by a regular renewal of our mind with the, whole, the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and being around the people of God. Maybe some of you can testify to this, that you really uh, came to know how the Lord had gifted you with a spiritual gift as you began growing in your relationship with the Lord. You take a spiritual gift test the day after you become a Christian, it will probably be radically different from that, you know, a year later or five years later or ten years later. Uh, you take a spiritual gift test the day after you become a Christian, it will be very different from having spent five years around other believers in the church and learning how the Lord has gifted you to, to serve Him. And so I think one of the ways that we want to aim to learn these things, what gifts of grace the Lord has specifically given to us, is by not being conformed to the world and saying, okay, the world says that I'm good at this, so that's my spiritual gift, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Paul tells us in, in these uh, short verses here, really three things I'd encourage you to, to note down this morning. The first one is this, that we ought to think of ourselves, or you think of yourself rightly. Think of yourself rightly. Paul says in verse 3, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, now, Paul is speaking here of, I think, yes, the grace of God in salvation that was given to him. So he's speaking on, on the foundation of the gospel. But I also think he's speaking of the grace that he mentioned back in chapter 1, verse 5, that the Lord had given him grace and apostleship to write this letter. The Lord had graced the apostle Paul in a specific way that none of us have been graced with, and that is uh, w with an understanding of the gospel uh, and the opportunity to speak uh, these words, being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write them first for the church in Rome, but then for the church centuries afterwards. And so Paul is speaking here on the basis of him being an apostle, which carries a lot of weight. It's, it's the apostle Paul, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, urging us then not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, most of us don't need to be told, think more of yourself. Uh, this is why Paul, and most often in the Bible, you see us being commanded, think uh, well of yourselves. Think rightly of yourself. Don't think too highly of yourself because we often think too highly of ourselves. This is why pride is condemned and humility is favored and encouraged and commanded even. Uh, and so Paul speaks in this way. He speaks to all of us who, in any moment of weakness, can think pretty highly of ourselves. That we are God's gift to mankind, God's gift to this church, God's gift to this family. And, and apart from me, you could do nothing. When in reality, that's what it says of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. That apart from Him, we can do nothing. And so... Paul urges us here, and, and I love the English of this verse because it carries the, excuse me, carries the Greek across in it. Uh, the, the word for, the English word think in your translation there is the Greek word 
uh, phroneo. And each time it says think in this passage, it uses that root word and adds a prefix each time. So when they would be reading this in Greek or hearing this read aloud in their assembly, they would have heard it a lot like we heard it with that repetition of think, 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 or phroneo, phroneo, phroneo. When he says, don't think too highly of yourself, you, you might have, could have guessed this. It's the word hyperphroneo. Don't think too much, too highly, too often of yourselves. But to think rightly with sound judgment. That's the word phroneo. To, to think with sound right judgment. Um, and then he goes on then to, to say uh, more than he ought to think, uh, but to think with sober judgment. Excuse me, that there then is the word sophroneo. So it adds that prefix so right before the phroneo of think there, getting at this idea of sober judgment, sound thinking, right understanding of the way that you ought to think of yourselves. Paul's going to continue to speak about these ideas in a few verses later that we'll get to next week in 12.16. He commands, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. We don't need to overthink ourselves. We ought to think of ourselves rightly uh, the way that God thinks about us. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the New Testament, he writes it this way, um, don't cherish exaggerated ideas of yourself or your importance, but try to have a sane estimate of your capabilities by the light of the faith that God has given to you all. I thought that was helpful. We had to have the right assessment of who we are in light of the gospel and in light of how God sees us and how God has gifted us. Have you ever noticed that if you're going to buy something and it has a certain list price and you're buying it, most often you're thinking, it's not worth that. I'm going to offer less than that. I don't estimate it at the same value that, that they do. But if you're selling something, you often put a list price and you think it's actually worth more than that, but I'll give it away at that price. I mean, I'll give someone a deal at that. And when anyone offers you anything less than that, you're offended by it all of a sudden. And so we, we understand this, that there's a way to overestimate ourselves or underestimate ourselves, but we need to rightly estimate ourselves. Uh, those of you who own homes right now are dealing with home appraisals that most of us think are, are really not fair uh, when we're paying our property taxes every year. However, when we want to go to sell that home later this year, we think it's actually worth way above that. And we're glad for someone to pay over that. We just don't want to pay the taxes on it at that moment. We can do the same thing with ourselves. We can overestimate ourselves and think that we are worth to God and to one another in the church way more than we ought and, and that the church couldn't um, endure or go on without us. When in reality, if we were to die this very day, the Lord would enable someone, gift someone, or bring someone to the church to do and to carry on this work. We trust Him to do that. The Lord gives good gifts to His church. Uh, but I want to go on to say that we ought to not also underestimate ourselves. Uh, you are worth a great price, a, a price in which God sent His one and only Son to pay for the sins of uh, that you had committed against Him, uh, to atone for them, to forgive you. His one and only Son was a gift to us. And, and above and beyond that, He's gifted you, Christian, um, with His Holy Spirit. And His Holy Spirit has gifted you and enabled you um, to do certain things 
for His name's sake and for one another's good and for others' salvation. Don't think that you don't have a part to play. Uh, You do. Just don't think your part is the part uh, of the entire thing. And so Paul is encouraging us. And he ends with this phrase, um, in thinking of ourselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now this could either speak to a real measure of faith that at this season in your Christian walk, the Lord has gifted you with an amount of faith not only to believe in Him, but to trust Him, to, to give, to serve, um, to be used by Him in a certain, certain way in this season of life. But maybe five years, ten years down the road, you've grown and learned to trust in the Lord even more and found Him trustworthy and dependable that your faith has grown. And so you have a, an added measure of faith at that season of life to be used in an even uh, new way or a, a greater way than you had in the past. And praise the Lord. But I think it also might uh, speak to the, the measurement of faith. That we need to judge ourselves. That we need to think of ourselves according to the measurement of faith. And that is the Gospel that we need to consider ourselves through gospel lenses. How does God think of us? Uh, First and foremost, as sinners. How does God think of us in that He has sent His one and only Son to save us? And obviously, He cares for us. He, He loves us. How does God think of us in that He's given us His very Holy Spirit uh, in us to live and to work for His pleasure? Um, how, does the, how do we look at ourselves, think of ourselves through gospel lenses? I think both of those are probably at play. Some may say one versus the other. Uh, it's probably hard to be exact on it, and I think both give us a healthy understanding of, uh, of what this truth is aiming to get across, what Paul is aiming to get across. Ultimately, that being that we ought to think uh, of ourselves rightly. Paul speaks about this in, in probably one of the most clear and, and most memorable passages regarding um, thinking of ourselves rightly in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 8, when Paul says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, having thought rightly about ourselves, not too highly and not too lowly, but having thought rightly with sound judgment about ourselves in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though He was in the form of God, He did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But He emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant, a deacon, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Paul's not telling us to do anything that he didn't have to learn himself on the road to Damascus. Thinking quite highly of himself before that and having thought quite lowly of himself after that. Uh, He would describe this in his epistles of all of his education and all of his prominence before he had met Christ And as his epistles go, he talked about himself being a sinner. And towards the end of his life in his letters, he called himself the chief of sinners. He had a right understanding about who he was. And he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't had to learn himself to do. To not think too highly, not to think too lowly, but to think rightly about himself. 
He's also not asking us to do anything that the Lord Jesus hasn't done himself. Jesus, who is God and was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Jesus became a man so that he could live a perfect and sinless life and die the death that we deserve. And yet, being God, raised victoriously over sin and death, offering us eternal life as well. And so, Paul's challenge to us, first and foremost, is to think of yourself rightly. But he goes beyond that in verse 4 through 5, and he tells you to play your part corporately. I am to play my part corporately. You are to play your part corporately. We see this in verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. This is a simile Paul is using here to illustrate uh, how we are as individuals, but how we relate to the whole in the church. And he brings up a familiar illustration for those of you who have either grown up in church or been in church for any amount of time or read through the New Testament. Paul mentions it uh, not only here in Romans, but he mentions it in 1 Corinthians and other places, 1 Corinthians 12, as well as other places. This uh, image of a, of a body, a body in which has many different individual parts that are all put together for the whole. Uh, we don't have lots and lots of hands that make up our body. We have internal organs, each of those working differently on different systems. We have external uh, parts that all work differently, but they all work in tandem. Um, we know how this all works for when sometimes one part of our body doesn't work that well or is sick or is hurting, much of us is hurting and our entire body is affected by that. And the, Paul uses that, uh, m- that simile to compare we as individual members of local churches. That we're not, we, not only do we not all have the same background, not only do we not have the same upbringing, not only... Uh, did we have the same church experience growing up or even more recently? Uh, we've all been gifted in different ways. We all have different talents and abilities. All um, God having brought us together to play our individual part corporately. And we have to see ourselves in this image. The same is true when our body hurts. When one part of our body hurts, our whole body is affected. The same is true in the church. When one part of our body hurts, we all hurt. Or we ought to all hurt. When one part of our body rejoices, we ought to all rejoice. Or at least we ought to all rejoice and not be jealous of or covet what others are rejoicing. Uh, and w- when we all come together like that, just think about those times in your life when your body is just in sync and you're healthy, uh, you're f- you feel good, you have energy, you've been sleeping well, you've been eating well, and all of that it just comes together. You just feel good until you don't. Well, when the church is all in the Spirit, even if some of us are hurting, and we all hurt in those moments, uh, other members are able to rise up and help those parts that are hurting in those moments, and we work well together. There's a, a sense of healthiness. This is why we talk about healthy church. We're not a perfect church, and we'll never be a perfect church because we're full of sinners. But we can be healthy sinners who have put our faith and trust in a perfect Savior 
together and we can walk in healthy ways in the ways in which the Lord has gifted us and, and challenged us to, to live. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12. Let me read a couple uh, places in 1 Corinthians 12 that speak to this. That uh, I think Paul uh, gets into a little bit more detail there. Here he just mentions the, the simile, the uh, metaphor, if you will. But there he goes into a little bit different a little bit more detail in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Listen to verse 7. Sound familiar? To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Or in verse 18 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. And then in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is the idea that Paul has in mind when he's writing to the church in Rome as they are aiming to be not conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of their minds to be able to discern what the will of the Lord is. Yes, for their whole church, but also individually. What are the gifts that the Lord has given to each of us? Uh, and to realize that each of us as individuals need to play our part. Notice it doesn't say, Play your whole. Play your part. I have to play my part, and it's not Graham's part. As much as I would love to play the guitar and to be able to sing like that. I'm not going to force myself uh, to take over that position and do both just because I want to do that. We play our parts well. Uh, I can look out into this local church body and just see all the different parts that are already being played out in our healthy little church. And I love seeing that. As a parent, um, I see that happening even in, in our own kids and wanting our kids to be able to do, not to be just little Brian's, that would be so inferior and boring to the rest of the world, but to have each individual kid being whom God has gifted them with their own strengths and their own abilities to far exceed what their father has been able to do or their mother, even on this Mother's Day when supposedly you should say that they can't be uh, gone above and beyond. But nevertheless, uh, we want that in our kids. We want that in our church. We want to see uh, all of your gifts Use your part played well corporately because when you play your part well in the body of Christ, then we all benefit from that. When you don't play your part well, we all suffer for that. Not only is the Lord not honored and glorified as much, we are not done uh, as well as we could have been if you would be doing that. And others outside of this church may not be experiencing the grace that God has for them in the gospel as well as in their own, using their own gifts and talents for His name's sake. So, Christian, play your part. Your part corporately here at the fields. Paul here speaks about it generically, but he goes into a little bit more detail in our last point in verses 6-8 through eight, where he encourages us individually, to use your gifts appropriately. I am to use my gifts appropriately. You are to use your gifts appropriately. Look in verse 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I mentioned early on that uh, we as Christians have all received the grace of God. And we sung well this morning regarding the grace of God in salvation. 
But here, Paul is speaking about another grace that we as Christians have received. The, word, the Greek word for grace is charis. Charis. Uh, you may know someone named charis uh, as having that root word uh, coming from this Greek word of grace. But when you see that word gift, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, that's the word charismata. Gifts of grace, where you would get the word charismatic. And yes, that word has certain repercussions in our day and age, but when Paul is writing about the uh, gifts of grace, don't think about the context in which we live. Think about the specific individual gifts that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are, are mentioned, all three giving these gifts to God's children, to Christ's brothers and sisters, um, to the dwelling places of the Holy Spirit. Uh, these are gifts of God's grace that we are to praise Him for and thank Him for. And they're gifts that differ. Uh, they differ according to the grace given to us. Paul writes similarly in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. But grace was given to each one of you, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then he goes on to speak about some of those specific gifts that God has given to the church. Having gifts that differ, again, remember, we're, we're to play our part, our function corporately, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And he says, if in prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I mentioned 1 Corinthians 12. I also mentioned Ephesians 4. Both of those are places where Paul would give other lists of spiritual gifts. None of them the same. None of them exhaustive, meaning that we have a complete list there are more gifts of the Holy Spirit than are probably mentioned in our New Testament. Uh, and yet Paul mentions specific ones in each of these places. Peter mentions some of them similarly as well in 1 Peter chapter 4 and in 10 through 11. Each, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, different grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. You are to use your gifts appropriately for God's glory right here and right now and forevermore. This is how we are to use them. And then Paul lists several here. And we can spend a little bit of time considering these, but each individual gift here is not the focus. The focus is that we each play our part. We each use our gifts appropriately. Not really specifically saying that each even one of us have one of these, for there are other lists in the New Testament. And so, I'll spend a little bit of time considering some of these, but I want you to realize that Paul is just um, mentioning a handful of these gifts just as examples. And he could go on and on and on, showing that there are more gifts, and that each of you have your own gift, and you need to use your gift appropriately. And that's what Paul's really getting at here. Whatever that gift is, use it appropriately. Use it rightly in 
the body of Christ. But the first one he mentions there is, is prophecy. And this is probably the most uh, popular to talk about in our day and age. Uh, I think the fact that it's so popular uh, means that people didn't really want to read verse 3 that much and that we might not ought to think of ourselves too highly, but we need to think of ourselves rightly with sound and sober judgment. Paul's not putting any of these gifts above others or up against any others. But yes, prophecy has taken a, uh, a popular uh, place in our day and age in and among the church. And what he says there, having said, let us use them, he says, if, if your gift is prophecy, use it in proportion to our faith. And one of the things that's clear in the New Testament is that uh, prophecy has kind of a primary and secondary place in the gifts in the New Testament. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2:20 and Ephesians chapter 3 verse 5 Paul says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So when you find this gift of apostleship, this gift of prophet um, in that primary place, it's not speaking to anybody that follows, but to those apostles and those prophets who were given for uh, a time and age that our faith is built upon, their foundation there. Now, it does seem that there's other places where prophecy is mentioned in a more secondary place. Uh, and even if you look in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 13, um, Acts chapter 21, um, there are prophets mentioned in those places. Um, but what you'll see elsewhere is that when that gift of prophecy is talked about, it's always talked about being put to the test to be able to determine whether or not it's, it's right and in accordance with God's Word. Uh, we see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, where Paul writes to the church at Thessalonica, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. And so there is an aspect of prophecy in the New Testament that seems that it needs certain testing. But prophecy in the Old Testament and in the New Testament were tested by whether or not what was said, did it come true or did it not? In the Old Testament, there was significant punishment for you to claim yourself as a prophet and to say something that didn't come true. It was the death penalty. So there's a seriousness to ascribing the word of the Lord and to whatever you say afterwards. One that I have no desire to uh, go into at all myself. Which is why I want to make sure you hear me say, I'm reading God's Word at this point, And at other times, I am doing my best to understand and interpret and explain and apply these things to you. But please hear me that never are my words like that of the Apostle Paul or, or the prophets that spoke God's Word into being. For they were inspired by the very Holy Spirit of God to be able to speak these things that they might be written down uh, for our benefit and for our help. But so long as I am speaking the Word of God from this pulpit or speaking the Word of God in relationship with you, um, then it's safe to say that those are the prophetic words of God. Those are God's Word. When you are asked and accept a willingness to come up and to read God's Word for our church, you are in a sense prophesying God's Word. You are speaking God's Word to God's people. And we know that they're true, for they have been attested in God's Word that they're true, and they've been given to us. 
when you come and, as Megan did, pray, read Scripture, and you pray God's Word uh, for God's people, you, you, you are, in a sense, prophesying God's Word because you're reading God's Word. So far as we get away from God's Word, we are, very, we are in murky waters, uh, unsafe, uncharted waters. Uh, and, and that's where we, uh, as Christians, need to be good Bereans from Acts chapter 17. After Paul was persecuted in Thessalonica, he went to the next city in Berea. And it says of those Bereans there, that they received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. This is the testing uh, of what people say. So far as it accords with God's Word or is it, it is a recitation of God's Word, we can trust it. Uh, and there is a prophetic ministry happening there. But so far as you get away from the Word of God, it's not to be trusted uh, unless it's tested in accordance with God's Word. So is there a prophetic ministry happening in our churches so long as the Word of God is read, prayed, sung, preached, um, memorized? Yes. So far as those things are not happening, probably not. Not in the sense that I think Paul was speaking here. So if... You have a, great, a gift of prophecy, an ability to, and, and all of us have a way greater opportunity to use this gift because we have the written Word of God before us where they didn't have in the first century and they didn't have before that. We can all speak these words of God to one another's lives. And so we ought to steward that gift well that the Lord has given to, the, to us, but in proportion to our faith, or probably a better translation, in proportion to the faith. For in the Greek, it has the definite article where Paul is saying that whatever prophecy is spoken, it must be in accordance with the faith, with the gospel. If it's not in accordance with the gospel and the word of God, then it's not to be trusted in that. But he goes on beyond that and speaks of um, gifts that we may be more familiar with. In verse 7, If service in our serving, having gifts that differ according to the grace that was given to us, let us use them. If you have been given the gift of service, that is the gift of deaconing, then deek is what it says. Uh, this is the very word that was used to describe Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. Uh, if you have been given in the enabling of the Holy Spirit this gift to serve, and to help others in need, to see needs that other people may not see, to help organize others to meet those needs, um, then serve in that way. Use those gifts that God has given you. We as a church have asked uh, and, and nominated several of you to deacon in a certain way, in a way that God has gifted each of you uh, as as individuals to serve our body. And you have made us better because of it. You have freed us up as pastors and elders to pray and to minister the Word. Just think about my regular Sunday morning routine, able to sit in my office from 6 until we leave that morning, praying, considering God's Word, praying for you individually, uh, as I have a mental picture of where you sit, and yes, you sit in very similar places week after week, um, that is a blessing that I'm given because of some of you deacons who are uh, serving our church and organizing the rest of you to, to meet needs that you didn't know were there. I mean, some of, some of us, uh, myself included, we show up and all of this is done, and we think, wow, the Y is such a nice place to 
to set all this up for us and to let us have church in this place, not knowing that um, people are here at 7 o'clock every Sunday morning, deaconing, um, serving us in that way. If the Lord has gifted you with an eye and a willingness and an ability to serve in a specific way, meeting needs that our church has, not needs that other churches have and you think we need to have them as well. Please don't bring any other needs to our church. We have enough that need to be met as we have here. But if you see needs that need to be met, um, meet those needs. Serve them. And I appreciate those of you who are doing so as deacons and those of you who are serving uh, with our deacons well. If in service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, if the Lord has gifted you uh, not only with an ability to understand the Scriptures, uh, but with a, an ability to be able to re-communicate those things, reteach those things you've been taught with other people. Use that gift. Use that gift. We don't have a huge place for teaching and field training. Uh, we don't have a huge need in teaching adult classes at this point. Uh, in the life of our church. Uh, but we have another group of people that need regular teaching in kids' ministry. And I'm thankful for those of you who are gifted and able to teach uh, really clearly, myself included, in adult f formats. But I'm even more grateful for those of you that are able to do that but willing to serve those kiddos and to teach them the gospel in clear ways. Uh, my kids have benefited from years. My kids uh, are the kids that they are because many of you have been gifted with this gift of teaching and have taught. You've taught in kids' church. You, you've taught uh, in classes. You've taught even from the pulpit. Uh, you've taught in discipleship groups. You've taught uh, in discipleship relationships. I'm thankful that the Lord has given us some really good teachers um, with a specific gift. Now, doesn't mean that just because you don't maybe have the gift of teaching um, publicly, maybe in front of people, that you're not responsible for teaching. For what is the Great Commission? What did Jesus command us to do in his last words? To make disciples of all nations, going, baptizing, and teaching. We're all responsible for a level of teaching, but there are some of you who are gifted in a specific way by the Holy Spirit. Are we to all be selfish and covet that gift? No. But if you've been given that, use it for the Lord's honor, for our good, and for others' salvation. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. The one who um, can encourage to use that gift of encouragement to build up the body of Christ. We're to be able to use these things to speak the Word of God to others. The one who contributes, likewise, in his generosity. That we're not to give begrudgingly, uh, but we're to give generously. Again, let me say this. It seems as if there's a specific gift of some who are able and willing to be more generous at times or to see needs and to give to those needs more than others. But does that mean that if you don't have the gift of giving, that you don't have to give generously? Not at all. For we're all commanded to give. But praise be to God, there are some, there are some who are willing to give, uh, who are enabled and gifted to give in a specific way. The one who leads with zeal, with diligence. For leaders um, can have positions without accountability and they're to lead with diligence and zeal. Uh, I'm thankful though for, for as pastors and elders and, and, and shepherds of this church for the plurality that we have. To the accountability that we have to lead with zeal here at this church. But if the Lord has gifted you to lead, do it with zeal. Do it with diligence. 
for the, for the Lord's glory, for the benefit of the body of Christ. The one who goes on to do acts of mercy with cheerfulness. With cheerfulness. Not with a head bowed down, moping around. Um, when, when you see something that needs to be done, uh, when you see an act of mercy that's needed in a moment, to do so with cheerfulness, with gladness, honoring and glorifying the Lord. When you look at a passage like this, or when you look at those specific lists of gifts, it's very easy for some of us to be like, oh man, I wish I had that one. What can I do to kind of make that gift happen in my life? Or I want to be in that position. And we fall back into that childhood uh, coach pitch to kid pitch mentality or or that quarterback mentality or that specific instrument mentality. I I really want to do that one. When in reality, the Lord may have not gifted you or given you the opportunity to use that one at this moment, at this time, and in this season, and in this place. He may have gifted you to do something else, and if you would actually do use that gift at this time and in this place, you would enjoy it more. The body of Christ would be lifted up more and more healthy in that place and time. Others might see the the light of Christ in our church even more so as needs are being met, uh, it would be a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful team when you see a team, everybody accepting their field, their position in the outfield, their position behind the plate, their position at first base, not all running out to left field, all running out to the mound and fighting in that moment. But we can look around And we can see churches, or you may have been a part of churches that have that kind of struggle going on. And Paul is encouraging us here. He's challenging us to think first of yourself rightly. That we need, it starts with us, not thinking too highly of ourselves, but thinking rightly of ourselves, and then playing our part corporately in this local body, using our gifts appropriately. Uh, for His glory, for our good, and for others' salvation. And if we could do that, it would be a beautiful thing. I'm thankful for you as a church uh, in that for the most part, we do this really well. But as the Lord has put on your heart ways in which you need to think more rightly of yourself, to consider your part, uh, and to use your gifts specifically in ways that you haven't up to this point, And I want to encourage you to do that. And if you are here this morning thinking to yourself, I don't know if I have any of those gifts. I don't know if I've received that gift of grace because I don't know if I've received the gift of grace. I don't know if I've received the gift of God's salvation. So no doubt God, the Holy Spirit, hasn't gifted you with other things then let me urge you and encourage you, while this may be a passage speaking to Christians in the church, if you're hearing the gospel this morning of Christ's perfect life and His death and His resurrection to save and to forgive uh, all of us from our sins, for those who would believe in Him, let me encourage you to do just that and to find out how this passage applies to your life as you too have been welcomed into the family of God. Let's pray. Father, would you help us as many good things as I could say about our church this morning, um, as many healthy stories as I could share regarding uh, this church regarding the specific gifts and uses of those gifts that I see when I look around. Lord, don't leave us where we're at. Let each of us look to ourselves rightly, not too highly. Let each of us be willing to be a part of the whole and to play our part well, to use our gifts appropriately. Lord, let us each look around and see needs needs in one another's lives, needs in the church, and to step in and meet those. We have a very visible opportunity to do that each 
Sunday morning when we finish and we look around and we see part of our mobile setup needing to be cleaned up and put away. But God, may we take the vision that we use on Sunday mornings when we're cleaning up here and tearing down here, may we use those same eyes to look more deeply at one another's lives, to see how others need to be encouraged, served, given to, taught, uh, exhorted, um, spoken the Word of God to through a text one morning. Lord, let us see with gospel lenses who You are, who we are, what others need in the body, and let us see how You've gifted us to be able to meet those needs. And when we do, Lord, I can't even imagine what You would do in and through us. And so God, have Your way with us. Have Your way with me. Have Your way with these elders. Have Your way with these deacons. Have Your way with these members that we might be the light of Christ sent out to be the church in the world. We love You and we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Church, would you stand and praise the giver of every good and perfect gift together this morning?